Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Glad that you tuned in today. Today's song, Let It Be by the Beatles. It may be a throwback for some of you, obviously not all of you. And if you didn't already know, the Beatles were an English rock band that was formed in Liverpool way back in 1960. Oh my goodness, 1960. The group was comprised of uh, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. Uh, they were integral to the development of the counterculture of the 60s, and they were the go-to group for popular music at the time, as they actually revolutionized many aspects of the music industry. Their first hit was in late 1962 with Love, Love Me Do, You Know I Love You. Anyway, um, as their popularity grew, so did a social phenomenon uh, that, that took place at the same time called Beatlemania. Culture went crazy. Now, the Beatles are the best-selling music act of all time. They hold numerous records, as you can research on your own to find out what they are. Rolling Stones includes them in the lists of the greatest artists in history, and Time Magazine names them amongst the 20th century's top uh, 100 most important people. So, now my claim to fame with the Beatles, believe it or not, I do have one of these. It took place on August 18, 1964. I wasn't even a month old when the Beatles landed in Winnipeg for just 22 minutes. Uh, they were on their way to San Francisco and stopped in Winnipeg for routine refueling. And it was the first place where they ever set foot in Canada. I was hoping that they would come and welcome me into the world. But no, I was wrong. It wasn't about me at the time. Just saying. Anyway, the Beatles eventually, they broke up in 1970. All but... Uh, um, but all four members actually enjoyed uh, successful sol uh, careers as solo artists. Um, John Lennon was eventually shot and killed in 1980. George Harrison died of lung cancer in 2001. But McCartney and Starr remain musically active to this day. I was only six years old, I remember this, when uh, they broke up. But I grew up in a post-Beatle culture. And uh, popular music wasn't really played in my house. As a matter of fact, my parents didn't like anything, well, much anything of anything secular, if I could put it that way. And I remember as a kid, I would, um, I'd always jump in Dad's car and press the, the uh, radio stations on uh, the, the dashboard, the buttons of my dad's big Pontiac Parisienne. And then I would tune it to either CKY or, or CFRW. And my parents were very quick to change it when they realized what they were listening to. And they always put it to this obscure southern Manitoba radio station with real music. I'm just saying. I'm throwing it out there. And it, it didn't really matter how hard my parents tried to shield me from the evils of secular music. I had two older brothers, and one of them had a turntable, and I was introduced to a wide variety of music. And the Beatles was just one of them. I also had my own honking D-battery-powered AM radio that I would listen to. And uh, I remember always trying to justify my music choices with my parents. And I would advocate that the songs that I were listening to, they were about Jesus, they were about God, and therefore I should be allowed to listen to them. So songs like Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky or My Sweet Lord by George Harrison or Joy to the World by Three Dog Night, right? Um, and then there were these crossover songs that were out there like uh, Jesus is Just All Right, which was originally recorded by the Birds, but then the Doobie Brothers did it, and then eventually DC Talk. Some of you know will remember that one. Now, 
Uh, there's another one called Put Your Hand in the Hand of the Man from Galilee, and that was done by the group Ocean, but Anne Murray picked it up. Now, some of you have no clue I'm talking about. Others of you are going, well, you're kidding, you're that old. But who could argue with Anne Murray when she sang a song? A great Canadian icon. And I remember my first Sunday, this was priceless, and I heard this song that I would always listen to on the radio. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the waters. So this was sung on the radio, and now I hear it singing in church. In a church service in the little town of Swan River, Manitoba, of all places, my head swung over to see the reaction of my mother, and all she did was look straight ahead and ignored me. But anyway, at first I knew nothing of the controversy that would surround the Beatles, but eventually it was brought to my attention that John Lennon made the claim that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus, that they were experimenting with uh, transcendental meditation and psychedelic drugs, um, that they recommended enlightenment via LSD experimentation. And so needless to say, you can understand my parents' concerns of me being influenced by such a group. In the late 70s, I would go to youth camps, and uh, the preacher would talk about the evils of secular music and... um, was party to conspiracy theories and hidden messages and album covers and subliminal lyrics. And some of us would be talking about these things and wondering whether or not we could rig our turntables to spin backwards to hear the secret Gnostic teachings of the Beatles or Satan's voice in other albums. And of course, there was always record-burning times at these camps. Yeah, that's how I grew up. The fact of the matter is the Beatles weren't just a bunch of rebellious hippies with no respect for other people. They certainly weren't religious leaders, I'll say that. As a matter of fact, they all said that they were agnostic. And yet in the eight years between 1962 and 1970, the rebellion against the status quo changed to something more progressive. You know, from the simple expression of their mop-style haircuts, you know, Um, when you look at Elvis Presley, had already been much more vulgar with his gyrations than the Beatles would ever be on stage. But they went from these, you know, nice, clean-looking haircuts to their experimental drug use. They dabbled in Eastern religions. Um, But yet, you know, culture would look at the Beatles, and they were heralded as saviors of a generation. Well, with that kind of label, they uh, began their ministry simply as a pop phenomenon, singing their teeny bopper songs. But their music, when you think about it, uh, became much more sophisticated, and their lyrics e- eventually ran the gamut from spiritual wisdom to social justice. Um, and there was a constant theme of love through it all. All you need is love, right? And of course, they weren't the first group to ever preach love. What they did, though, is that they changed the notion of God is love into the idea that love is God. In his book, The Gospel According to the Beatles, author Steve Turner talks about the Fab Four spiritual journeys and about how their, their work um, came to be meaningful in other people's journeys. He points out that uh, the album of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was the first pop album to include the lyrics to all the songs on the cover. Turner also points out how the era contributed to their popularity. This is what he wrote. He said, The 60s were a time of great spiritual turmoil, long-standing sources of stability, enlightenment, rationalism, traditional religion were being questioned. Rationalism, the idea that everything could be worked out by the human mind and that progress was inevitable, had no place 
for the inexplicable. The result was an over-mechanized, over-organized society characterized by conformity where the imagination was devalued. In its revolt against this, the 60s generation, like the romantics of the 19th century, celebrated their irrational chance, dreams, hallucinations, and the primitive. See, the Beatles were skeptical and even dismissive of the church, yet many of their core beliefs, love, peace, hope, truth, freedom, honesty, transcendent, were, in their case, secularized versions of Christian teaching. So Let It Be was the title track of what would be the Beatles' last studio album. It was released in March of 1970. It was the last single uh, released by the band before the news that they had broken up in April of 1970. Many people were absolutely indignant. Like, how dare they break up, right? How could a band break up when they still had music in them, like, come together? Uh, But they'd broken up, and for millions of fans, they had to actually get used to this idea. And one thing that helped was a single that came out just the month before the breakup, which was Let It Be. So let's go back to 1968. This is not a particularly easy year for the Beatles. There was a power dynamic in the band. And the, the, the dynamic shifted after their manager, Brian Epstein, died and, and Paul McCartney took over the reins. That spring, the Beatles went to India. Uh, When they returned, they started recording The Beatles, the double album, which they released in November of 68. And during this time, Paul actually goes on record and he says this, as he reflects. He says, this was a very difficult period. John was with Yoko full time and our relationship was beginning to crumble. John and I were going through a very tense period. Personally, it was a very difficult time for me. I think the drugs, the stress, tiredness, everything had really started to take its toll. There was a kind of lot going on. I, I think people were overdoing the use of substances. <laughs> 60s. We certainly were. It was kind of common. It was the fashion. And anyone who remembers that time will know that. And I think I was getting like a little bit over the top of the whole thing, getting pretty tired, pretty wasted. And I went to bed one night, and I had a kind of a restless night, but I had a dream where my mother, who had been dead for that, from that point for about 10 years, came to me in the dream, and it was as if she could see that I was troubled. Now listen to what he says. And it was so great to see her because that's a wonderful thing about dreams. You actually are reunited with that person for a second. There they are and you appeared to both be physically together again. It was so wonderful for me. She was very reassuring. And in the dream she said, it'll be all right. Now I'm not sure if she used the words let it be, but that was the gist of her advice. And it was like, don't worry too much. It will turn out okay. And I woke up and I remembered the dream and I thought, well, that's a great idea. And then I sat down and I wrote the song using the the feeling from that dream and of my mom coming to me in the dream. Now again, currently doesn't uh, claim to be a theologian, but every once in a while, even a rock and roll songwriter can stumble onto something profound. And he wrote, When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing in front of me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And so as a young boy, I assumed, and I wasn't alone, that Mother Mary was Mary the mother of Jesus. I'm just saying. Now, To be honest, we know very little about Mary, the mother of Jesus, even though she has been revered by millions of people over the centuries. The Bible doesn't really say a whole lot of her, but we know that when the angel Gabriel 
uh, came to visit this poor, young, unmarried, frightened girl and gave her the most unbelievable news anybody ever heard. In Luke one thirty-eight, she simply said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Which sort of sounds very much like let it be. Now, despite what you may think, the Beatles' song, Let It Be, is not religious. Not at all. And that's according to the man who wrote it. McCartney made it very clear. As a matter of fact, he said, Mother Mary makes it a quasi-religious thing. So you can take it that way. And I don't mind. I'm quite happy if people want to use it to shore up their faith. I have no problem with that. I think it's a great thing to have faith of any sort, particularly in the world that we live in. And McCartney explained that his mother, who died of cancer when he was 14, obviously was named Mary, and is the inspiration for the Mother Mary lyric. But let's back up. See, often the most tumultuous times spawn great creativity. And I think this is really true for McCartney. You think about the world. You know, here he is in the stress with his best friend and... Um, and Yoko Ono, that was probably stressful on its own. And then you also had uh, um, the fact that the group was falling apart right before them. There was violence in Ireland at the time. There were wars that were happening in Vietnam and around the world. And, and here's a, a young man who's grown up without his mother. And in the great diversity of our own human nature, we have many different kinds of reactions to these painful moments in our lives. And when you think of it, some of us would get angry, right? Some of us, we get scared. Some of us, we get defensive. Um, you know, feeling maybe that we have to prove ourselves now. But some of us, and including some of the wisest people I know, become very still. They quiet themselves. You know, they don't react out of fear or anger or self-righteousness. What they do is they actually wait. And, and some of them seek to return to what they know is true. They get back to the basics. And, and, and most people ask that, you know, very same question, like, how do you do that? How do you just trust that it's going to be all right to, you know, so to speak, let it be? And I think this is a common experience to, um, really, this is a, the common experience to all humankind, that in times of trouble, in times of stress, we remember those who were closest to us. Right? We gravitate to that. We look back in our memories, maybe for some parental counsel or the example of them or other things or other people that we've held in high esteem. And we've asked the question, well, how did they manage? How did they get through? Now, when we run out of help from all of our earthly connections, I guess the question comes down to it is, how do you and I find peace in this crazy world? How do we make sense of where we find ourselves? And I'm, I'm sure nobody's ever dealt with stress, right? None of us, never, no. But it seems that stress has become much uh, a part of our lives as sleeping and breathing, especially with COVID, has it not? And you know that old saying that nothing is certain in this world but the de death and taxes? I think we can modify it a little bit and make it sound like nothing is certain in this world but death, stress, and taxes. Because we all deal with stress. And if it's not stress, it's worry or it's anxiety. And sometimes stress, worry, or anxiety becomes so severe that it can actually affect our well-being, right? And, and we can have anxiety attacks. We can stop eating, we stop sleeping, or we overeat, or we oversleep, or um, exercise, whatever it is, and we need to go see a doctor. And as we think about worry, stress, and anxiety, I think it's important to acknowledge right off the bat that at least 
you know, some degree of stress is good. And this is the kind of stress that causes us to move off the road, let's say, when a car is coming or run when a dog begins to chase us. This type of stress can even be a motivation that actually drives us to take care of ourselves, take care of our families, those that we love around us. But we all know that stress, like so many other things, if it goes too far, can become a very horrible thing in our lives. So in the Bible, over and over and over again, God says, I am with you. I've been preaching that all summer. And the biblical solution for worry and stress is not a to-do list, but instead it's understanding that there is a God who's always with us. The Bible says at least 100 times, don't be afraid. Jesus says that to his disciples 24 times. Far more than eight times, you know, he says that great commandment to love God and your neighbor, right? We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be stressed or worried because God is with us. Remember, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, don't misunderstand the message here. God's not saying our lives will be worry or stress-free. The message is not even that God will take care of our problems, but rather that he will be with us and that he will help us. No matter what happens in life, God will hold our hand, take even the toughest things, and somehow through his amazing work, he will redeem them and make something good. If you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 56. Take some time today and read it. Go over it. You know, this psalm was written by David before he was the king. You know, he had been anointed. He had been named as the future king, but he wasn't there yet. Now King Saul had gotten word of this young David, this future king. And like so many other powerful kings, Saul didn't want any rivals to his throne. So what does he do? He goes after David. He even puts a price on David's head. And as you can imagine, David has to get out of there. He has to flee. And he ends up exiled in the land of his enemies. He's with the Philistines. And so now David is surrounded on all sides by enemies. And there he is in the midst of the Philistines every day. But he can't leave because then you know, he would essentially just be walking right into Saul's hands. And we can only imagine the worry that plagued David during this time. I think it would be fair to say that David was stressed out. And so what does he do? He asks God for help. Read it. You know, how many times have we called on God when we're stressed out? Probably not enough especially when we consider how many times God promises to be with us. David knew, though, that, and, and, and he knew that well when you think about it. In Psalm 55, 22, David says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you, and he will never let the righteous be shaken. That's Psalm 55. And I wonder if David knew when he wrote that psalm just how close trouble was for him. It's never easy to say and believe such things when you find yourself in, in the midst of great stress, is it? Yet even with a price on his head, even exiled in the land of his enemies, David knew what he needed to do. He knew how to handle the problem. And the solution was to call on God. <coughs> call on God who promised always to be with him and to sustain him through even the greatest trials. You know, we're, we're actually here today when you think about it because we believe in a power that's greater than ourselves. 
You know, we believe in a God who sent his own son to die for us so that we wouldn't have to. And yet so often uh, we insist on, uh, on that we need to have all the power, right? We have to be the ones in control. We have to be the ones to do things and to do them right because nobody else will. We have to be the ones who bear the burden of the latest you know, work project. We have to be the ones who bear the burden of the family crisis. But part of believing in this God who is so much more powerful than us is having the faith to turn our burdens over to him and so that when things get too tough, when we get too stressed, he takes over. Part of following this God is having faith that he indeed never leaves us or forsakes us. When, when everything in our lives is going wrong, he's there. And the promise of the Bible is that if we can have the faith to trust God, that, that God is with us and to share our greatest burdens with him, then we will know peace that would not otherwise actually be possible. A p- peace so complete that it cannot be explained. A peace that is so wonderful, as the scriptures say, it passes all understanding. And doesn't that sound amazing? Now, I don't know about you, but that, I want that kind of peace. Peace. A five-letter word that means so much to so many people. It is what most of us, in some sort of capacity, we wake up every morning and strive to attain, whether we realize it or not. Some of us achieve it to others. Those five little letters are, are as hard to grasp as the, the wind, especially in our difficult times. In our crazy world, it can be hard to find peace. Now, I don't want to have to be terribly stressed and worried all the time. I want to know that when things really get rough, that there's a place that I can go to for help. I think David knew peace, even when he was surrounded by his enemies. He penned it. And that's why David says over and over again that he worships and praises God and that he'll bring offerings of thanksgiving because he trusts God who has saved his feet from stumbling and even saved him from death. And so, you know, why be anxious when with God's presence in your life, really, what can anyone do to you? There's peace. Psalm 62.1 says, I will wait quietly before the Lord because my victory comes from him. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? I wish I could tell you this is something that I've mastered, but I haven't. You know, there are days where I keep searching for something to do around the house, or especially if I find myself at the cottage, because I can't be still. I don't know about you, but I don't know if any of you have been there, but I just can't sit still. I've always struggled with the concept of being still and having the inability to sit still in class or in in church. And why is it so difficult to sit quietly before the Lord? Why why do I struggle with being still? I, I may not have all the answers, but there are a few things I've noticed personally. That whenever I actually make the time just to be with God, I can honestly say my worries and my doubts and my fears seem to, you know, for lack of a better term, melt away. And truthfully, I begin to feel that peace. I think that peace that we so desperately crave. Let me give you three things to remember. Number one, I think we have to remember that God just isn't someone to be studied. He's a father to be known. 
use this time in history where we find ourselves today in 2021 to refocus our hearts, refocus our lives back on Jesus. In this season of transition with COVID and things opening up, I hope, I hope you find your place with God, most importantly. I want to encourage you to maybe go for walks, talk to God however you need to do it. I often feel most connected personally with Him in nature. We're locked in my office with my music blaring, to, <laughs> to be honest. But maybe for you, maybe it's in, in the shower, maybe it's a room in your house, maybe it's around your fire pit in your backyard. I don't know, but just take that time. That God just isn't someone to be studied. He's a father to be known. And listen, number two, being still before the Lord in prayer allows God to remind us of who we are and who he is. Often in prayer, all we think about, you know, what to say, right? You know, what do I say next? What do I say next? Try to become a better listener. Especially now as we start transitioning here. He's the one with the peace. He's the one with the answers. Maybe just take some time and listen. What's he saying to you? And finally, peace doesn't come from the absence of storms, but it's recognizing who is with you in the storms. You know, so much about life is, is perspective. Faith isn't about head knowledge. You know, do we truly believe that God is for us and with us every step of our lives? And I think we have to find creative ways to remind ourselves daily of His presence. Maybe for some of you it's in writing and encouraging notes or to other people or journaling for yourself. Maybe like I said earlier, listening to worship music when you're by yourselves, reading the scriptures, or just simply going out and finding a place and talking to God. Being intentional in our spiritual walk. Why? To meet with Him. To know Him and to experience peace. I need to say that God is with you. That God will sustain you. He will never let you go. And we all face struggles. We all face worries and stress without question. But often as those things burden our lives, we have to take them to the Lord. They have to share our burdens with God. Our prayers may not always be answered in the way that we want, to be honest. And so like Jesus in the garden, in the midst of his most stressful time, maybe we have to say, thy will be done. But if we can do that and trust a God who loves us beyond measure, then we will find peace in the midst of chaos, peace that passes all understanding. Now, I know this time of COVID is a trying time. It seems that it will last forever at all times, but I hope that we can take some practical steps in our spiritual life to find encouragement and peace in the chaos in which we find ourselves. I'm looking forward, actually, to seeing how post-COVID unites us and makes us stronger, a, a kinder, a better version of the church. And again, we're not a building, right? We are a people. And like Mary, the mother of Jesus, we can turn to God and say, you know, I'm sort of troubled here. I have no an answers, but let it be, Lord. Let your will be done. And maybe I'll suggest that's the message of Paul's song as well. You know, he, he pens his lyrics and he lifts the listeners up and out of his own life. And soon he's singing 
about all the brokenhearted people in the world, people who hate each other, people who are at war. In that one verse it says, although they may be parted, there still is a chance that they will see. There will be an answer, let it be. And maybe that's what Paul McCartney was talking about. I, I, I don't know, making peace with what you cannot change. And for the problems in our lives, for the problems in our world, there will be an answer. Let me leave you with the words of another Paul. He writes in Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. And I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give thanks and praise for your abundant mercy and grace that we receive. We thank you for your faithfulness, even though we're, we are not that faithful to you. So Jesus, today we ask that you would give us all peace in our mind, in our body, in our soul, in our spirit. We want you to heal and to remove everything that is causing, Lord, stress and grief and sorrow in our lives. And we lift this up to you. So guide our path through life and make our enemies be at peace with us. Let your peace reign in our family, in our places of work, in our businesses, and maybe everything we lay our hands on. And when we find ourselves awakened in the middle of the night, our pressing needs, our worries, maybe overwhelming us, we need to be reminded of your constant love. We need to be reminded of your healing and of your grace. And we ask for your mighty power to surround us. So thank you that you have set us free and that you are bigger than anything that we face in this life. And we lay our burdens before you, every single one of them, for we know that they're much safer in your hands and then in our own. Bring peace, Lord, into my soul that passes all worldly understanding and make me a light for others to see your strength, I pray. Amen. Well, soul in ancient times. The one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing, and those receiving the blessing did likewise. So here we go. Soul Sanctuary, as you go into your coming week, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you come to know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love for you really is. <coughs> soul, remember... Philippians 4, 6, and 7, anxious in nothing, prayer in everything, thankful in anything, peace. Now to him, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish him abundantly, far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now be blessed and live the church.